Welcome to the next quick hit segment of PI Perspectives. Matt continues to provide extra content during these trying times. We hope you find these segments helpful and spread the word to other investigators out there who are looking for updates. Today we speak with James Gagliano, a law enforcement analyst for CNN and a retired FBI agent. James and Matt discuss the impact the virus has had on law enforcement, security, and investigators. We thank James for taking the time from his very busy schedule to hop on the line with us. Now make sure you check the show notes for a link to file the SBA $10,000 emergency grant. Our only sponsor for these quick hit segments is Satellite Investigations. You can visit them at SatellitePI.com. Now, thanks for tuning in. It's time to drop in on the guys and get the discussion rolling. Here's your host, private investigator, Matt Spare. And welcome, everybody, to the next Quick Hits episode of PI Perspectives. I've been trying to get the word out to everybody and just keep everybody up to date with the things that are going on locally in New York and nationally through our state and uh, national associations. Today, we're going we're to take a little right-hand turn. Uh, I was able to get a hold of James Gagliano, who is a law enforcement analyst for CNN. We had some crazy happenings up here in Newburgh, New York, which is uh, right around where both uh, Jim and I live. And uh, it it really, um, I guess, talks about the state of law enforcement and how difficult it is uh, for our brothers in blue out there to do the job they need to do. So I want to welcome to the program in the segment here, uh, Jim. So Jim, how are you doing? Good, Matt. Thanks for having me. I I look forward to chatting with you. So uh, give me a breakdown here. Let's tell everybody first what you do, what your background is, uh, and then we'll, we'll jump into the subject real quick. All right. So um, I'm a West Point graduate, spent four years in the United States Army as an infantry officer and left the military in 1991 to join the FBI, where I spent 25 years on a whole host of investigative and, and, and leadership positions, including serving time in the FBI's hostage rescue team and uh, running the New York SWAT team for the FBI in New York City in that office. I retired in uh, January of 2016 and went to teach at St. John's University in Queens, New York. I teach undergraduates in everything from organizational leadership to criminal justice, homeland security, um, and even military history courses. And I'm also currently a doctoral candidate there in their in their doctoral program for homeland security. So that keeps me busy. And as you pointed out, you know, a law enforcement analyst on CNN, obviously with the with the pandemic ongoing right now and, and, and the lead up during the Democratic primary, um, I've been lucky not to be needed there as much because that means that something bad like a terror attack or a mass shooting or something that require law enforcement analysis right. has not been necessary. But uh, that's how I keep myself busy during these trying times. What has been your experience in dealing with the people that you know that are that are in law enforcement? Like I, I have some friends that, that serve in NYPD. I have some friends that are in the Yonkers Police Department. I know I'm keeping it local here for folks, but there's some real fear out there. Um, what's your sense of what you're hearing? Well, you know, if we look at this from the 35,000 foot level and then down at the, the boots on the ground level, the 35,000 foot level is, I say all the time, I mean, these are different policing times. And, you know, we can look at what the, you know, what the fulcrum was. Was it, you know, the summer of unrest in 2014, you know, when, when Ferguson occurred or, you know, the next summer when you had the, the, the riots in, in, in Baltimore and you had police assassinations, essentially, in Dallas and in Baton Rouge, Louisiana and in New York City, um, 
that really kind of was the, the fulcrum or the catalyst, I think, for this this new era. I think it's been referred to as either the Ferguson effect or the, the viral video effect where law enforcement officers, I mean, they, their job is just exponentially more difficult than it was when I was on the job, you know, beginning back in the early 90s, you know, back at the height of, you know, just horrific crime statistics down in New York City and obviously some of the policing methodologies that uh, people like Bill Bratton and other, you know, progressive police chiefs who looked at things and said, hey, we've got to do something different. And, you know, I'm not going to insult your, your listeners by, by describing these things because they know them and I'm sure they've heard about them, whether it's comp stat or broken windows or stop, question, and frisk. But all those methodologies led to making New York City and other big cities just exponentially safer than they were before. But they also caused some chafing between the communities that we were that we were protecting and serving, um, and, and 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 the police themselves. And I think that's where we are now, where police used to be given the benefit of the doubt due to the fact that you know these the vast majority of the practitioners are, are honorable, noble people. I mean, they step into the witness box and raise their right hand and they swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help them, God. And the juries are already saying, well, that's got to be the way that it happened. Well. There have been some highly publicized or high-profile cases where law enforcement have, you know, the, the few bad apples have done, you know, bad things. Things have been caught on video, whether it was, you know, down in North Charleston with a shooting down there of Walter Scott, um, a number of other different cases. And those have become so blown up in the media. And I, and I say that as part of the media, you know, I'm part of that. Um, they've become so blown up in the media that the perception is that, you know, the vast majority of police are just lying, racist people that are out there hunting down young men of color and brutalizing people and things like that. So that's a, a long wind up to say that all that stuff that's transpired, whether it's, you know, the policing methodologies that made us safer, but may have just chafed at some of the communities where the, the crime rates were the highest, as well as the things that happened in 2014. And then fast forward to where we are now that, uh, Police are under assault. I mean, now they're they're guilty and, until proven innocent. You know, versus you know the presumption of innocence. They're they're not entitled to due process. And you pointed out the case that happened in Newburgh on Friday night. A 26 year old man who had been involved in a shooting, a homicide, a day before, was spotted on the street. Now you're probably scratching your head and saying, "But what about the shelter in place edict? And what about you know all the stay at home rules that and that the medical professionals and the governor and everybody else is not suggested but mandated?" Right. But in this instance, and I'm not and I'm not making light of the instance because um, in this instance, a man lost his life. That sure. the, the man who was wanted for questioning, who was a suspect in a, in a homicide and a murder in Newburgh, was spotted by police at about five o'clock. They did what, what good proactive cops are supposed to do. They leaped out of their vehicles. There were three of them. They told him to put his hands up. He immediately turned, pulled a pistol from his waistband. A struggle ensued. A round was discharged from his pistol, striking one of the cops uh, in the shoulder. He then took the butt of his weapon and hit another cop in his, in his head, requiring stitches. And so another law enforcement officer on the scene um, fatally, thank God, fatally struck the, uh, the, 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 the shooter and, and killed him. Well, in Newburgh, and again, in, in many places across the country, there's this level of mistrust that can be stoked by opportunists and race baiters and charlatans and a particular city councilman there by the name of Amari Shakur, 
um, immediately went onto Facebook and, and put a video out, one of those live streaming videos, right. saying that he'd gone to the hospital and, you know, and tried to get in to see the young man that had been shot, and the young man was unarmed, and these police are killers. That kind of went viral, and that led to Saturday night rioting and, uh, you know, burning of mattresses and general chaos, people obviously not social distancing, right. but the hospital having to be locked down in the middle of a pandemic when its doors need to be open. So that's just a, a micro case, something close to my home and something close to where you live, just right. to kind of highlight, I think, what our, what our brothers and sisters in blue are having to endure these days. Yeah. I mean, it's not just that too. It's, it's the fact that, you know, every day that you're, you're coming into work, you know, maybe somebody you work with is, is not there because they've tested positive. I have a buddy of mine who's, who's literally sitting in a squad car with somebody who's recovering, you know, and it's like, and, and my buddy doesn't have it, you know, and he, and he, he worked in a, in a, in a, a warrant squad where six out of the seven guys tested positive for the coronavirus. This guy didn't, and they sent him out on a regular foot patrol. And now he's sitting in a car with somebody who, who has it. And he's like, it's just a matter of time before I get this, you know, like, and, and yep. he's so defeated right now because he thinks that, you know, 85% or 90% of the world is going to catch this at some point, And those who fight it off are going to live. And those that don't are unfortunately going to pass. And that's, that's where he is mentally. So it's really important. You know, if you're, if you're friends with people in law enforcement, pick up the phone and call them every day, like talk to them, you know, let, let them know that they're not alone and, and that you support them and you're there. Uh, you know, just, just having that phone call, that text message, really, really important. Yeah. And, and, you know, you, you, you pointed out, you know, we, we, we know these people now, there's no more of the six degrees of separation. It's like now everybody knows somebody who's either been in, infected by the, you know, the virus or people, God forbid, that have passed away from it. And it's not just striking the, the elderly or those with, you know, compromised autoimmune systems. I mean, there's some young folks that have contracted it and, 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 and passed away from it as well. And obviously our, our law enforcement officers, they're generally speaking, they're younger and fitter than the rest of us. But when they're being exposed to it, I know, you know, a, a large percentage of the New York City Police Department has gone out, you know, being either infected by it or being exposed to somebody that has a virus. And that makes policing difficult because yeah, even in a city like New York where you've got 35,000, 36,000 cops, but in a city that big with that number of calls for service every day under normal circumstances, and now those service calls being inflated due to the people getting sick and, and the requirement because folks just can't follow the rules. You know, you see these videos every day of people playing basketball together and, right. you know, in, 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 in parks, you see them congregating together and, you know, socializing. And so the PD in, in New York, as well as in many other places, not just New York City, has been forced to send resources, personnel, taking their academy personnel or people that would normally be assigned desk jobs and putting them out on foot patrols basically to enforce the quarantine, basically to enforce the stay at home or shelter in place edict. And it's just, it's draining our resources. And yeah. I anticipate it's going to get worse because look at it from this perspective. I mean, enforcing the quarantine and curfews and things like that is one thing. The next step is all these hospitals that are now becoming inundated with patients and people requiring tests, these healthcare facilities, they require more security and more people to do traffic control and crowd control now, fast forward, whenever, God willing, we get to this place where this, where this disease, this pandemic 
reaches its apex and we come up with a vaccine or we come up with a cure, imagine the distribution of that stuff. Who's going to get it? There's limited quantities. Police are going to be called in to handle that too. So you add that to also the mix, the fact that a lot of the correctional facilities, jails and prisons, which due to overcrowding are hotbeds for disease spread, now some mayors and some governors are releasing low-level and and elderly, uh, you know, uh, inmates. But there've also been some cases of people that were, you know, that were guilty of, of of violent crimes that are being released as well. You put them back out into the population mix, it's a recipe for disaster. And I think our our, our police, our law enforcement, our public safety officials, their 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 mission it's bursting at the seams and. Gosh, I just hope we can get to this apex as quickly as possible and get on the downturn of this thing. Obviously, so we don't lose any more lives, but also because I think our healthcare, our healthcare professionals and our public safety officials, they're just they're 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 they're, they're taking it right in the, right in the face. It's just it's it's just a tough situation. So, other than Newburgh uh, and that incident that took place, I mean, have you heard any other like specific uh, instances that have happened um, all, along the way here in in the New York area? Well, people ask me, you know, I've lately been doing a lot of research into, you know, uh, crime stats, you know, is crime up or is it down? And it's really tough because obviously you've been in New York and we're very sensitive to bail reform and bail reform has been a huge part of what I believe has been, you know, the uptick from January when it went into effect on January 1 through February and into March of, you know, people that are recidivist, not not having bail set for them, judges having their hands tied and just basically having to, it's catch and release. It's like fishing and throwing the bass back in the water. But in this instance, it's somebody that's a domestic abuser or somebody that continues to commit crimes, the same crime 20, 30, 40, 50 times, and yet they can't be held on bond because of these ridiculous bail reform laws. Well, adding that into the mix, we have definitely seen an uptick in crime in New York and in, in cities across the country that have tried this out. You know, other cities like, like, uh, uh, in New Jersey or other, uh, sorry, countries, other states like New Jersey and places like that. But you add that into the mix, but with the pandemic, you're also seeing a little bit of suppression in certain areas. And why is that? Well, fewer people on the street leads to what? Fewer human interactions and confrontations, which obviously limits the opportunities for violent crime. And you know this as well as anybody does. Winter months are generally slower on the crime tick than during summer months because in the summer, everybody's outside. There's more opportunities. Now, having said that, more people are at home. So there's fewer property crimes. There's fewer burglaries. Why? Because there's not vacant, you know, homes available. But a lot of businesses don't have people. They, they're, their folks have been sent home, which poses opportunities for criminals, as well as cases of fraud, um, cyber crimes, uh, people trying to benefit off the pandemic by fraudulently offering, you know, some type of snake oil for sale or something like that. So what I think you're going to see is you're going to see a little bit of up and down ticks. Certain crimes, I think, will be depressed due to the quarantine and the stay-at-home edict. Certain other crimes I think we need to be concerned about, which are going to be things like, you know, online fraud and schemes, things like that, I think you're going to see proliferate. That's so, that's my guesstimate just from looking at the stats. So, I, I mean, you bring up a good point, and I think that's why, in New York anyways, um, the private investigator industry got that essential services tag. Uh, I mean, at least specifically for security, it, it you know, we're, as a, a state association, the Aldenese, we're still trying to get clarification on private investigators. Uh, there is that sense that we help prevent fraud, 
uh, and our services are are necessary uh, for corporations, right? To to monitor and, and help them stay on top of things. But security, one hundred percent, and uh, I think we're we're seeing that um, there there is a need, and the investigation companies that are, that provide security services, they're busy these days. You know, the, you know, they may not be out doing surveillances, you know, sitting on someone's doorstep, but you know, you you bring up a really good point with regards to fraud. And, uh, you know, a thief is always going to be a thief. You're going to figure out another way to take advantage of people. Um, I had a, I had a good, uh, episode a couple of weeks ago, or I guess about a week and a half ago with, uh, David Johnson from uh, conflict international. And those were some of the things that we had covered, um, that there's really this push to do it, uh, you know, do the monitoring and, and, um, and do that stuff. So I thought you brought up a really good point there. No, you're, you're, you're hundred percent right. And, uh, and, and that's the thing when you look at, you know, private, uh, the, the, the private sector security industry, um, you know, I, I don't want to undersell it. It's, 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 it's no less important than, than, than our public sector folks. And why is that? Because with resources being stretched so thin, there has to be what we call in the Homeland Security realm, joint working or public private sector partnerships. And, you know, you're, you're, you're talking about it when you talk about the private investigator uh, industry. Um, there's, there's, there's other industries as well that, that, that partner up with our public sector folks. And that collaboration is so key and so important. And I think the security industry is going to be as, as more and more cases get detected, more and more people get hospitalized, there's going to be more of a need for it. I mean, look, the, uh, you know, the United States Naval ship, the Mercy, you know, just, uh, I'm sorry, the Comfort, Comfort which yeah. is like a Mercy level, uh, hospital ship just came up from Norfolk. It's moored on the, it's moored on the west side of, uh, uh of, I'm sorry, yeah, it's on the west side of, uh, west Manhattan side. right yeah. now. And it's providing hospital beds, but, but you need security there. And then yeah. when ventilators are secured and, and surgical masks that are, you know, there's such a dearth of or a paucity of them right now, when they're secured, they need to be moved down. Those are going to have to be secured because there are people out there that like to benefit and, and view a crisis as an opportunity. They're either hoarding things or yeah. they're, they're buying them and selling them on the quote unquote black market, meaning they're marking them up to ridiculous prices for toilet paper or for yeah. medicine or for, 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 for surgical masks. So those are all things that the security industry is going to have to work hand in glove with, if you don't, you know, excuse the pun, uh, with, with law enforcement to, to make sure that, that, you know, our nation remains safe. It's yeah. going to be a collaboration. That's the only way you can Definitely. do it. Definitely. And, you know, it, it's interesting that the, uh, the governor was doing a press conference a couple of days ago, I think, and somebody in the press is like, oh, so where are you keeping the surplus of the ventilators? He's like, I'm not telling you that. Right. <laughs> you know, so, 100%. And then, then you see, like, when the comfort came up, uh, there was uh, uh, something in the Times I saw, like all these people outside, you know, standing next to one another, watching the boat come in. And it's like, oh, I guess they're applying to get the uh, the early ticket to the uh, to to go visit the inside of the comfort in two weeks. <laughs> you know, it's like why are you people yep. sitting together, you know, watching the boat come in? You know, we need to listen and yeah, really, really understand. Yeah, it, it boggles your mind though, too. You know, I, I saw the same pictures. You know, it's just like people that are not only putting themselves in harm's way by doing that, by not social distancing, that six feet apart thing. That that law enforcement, police are now being assigned to go out there and say, hey break this little gaggle up right here but not only are they exposing themselves and their and their neighbors and their friends to it then they go home to their family they expose their family and then they expose the law enforcement officers that are forced to go make 
some type of contact, come into some type of proximity of them. So I I really, you know, I hate to use these terms that that get a little bit overused, like social distancing or flattening the curve. But these are things that, you know, are paramount for the safety of our security professionals. The fact that if we don't flatten this curve, if we don't prevent the the spread, and look, where's the spread happening in, in such just insidious type of numbers? It's, it's, it's places with huge population densities, places like New York City and places like New Orleans and in Washington. And th- these places right now are, are basically the hotbeds. New York is the epicenter now for this. Um, and it's just going to put such a strain, I think, on our law enforcement. I, I hear that uh, uh, through the grapevine that they're, they're looking at possibly graduating the West Point class of 2020. You remember all the service academy kids we're told not to come back to the academies after spring break, right. obviously trying to flatten the curve here. Well, now they're talking about graduating them early and, and dispensing them as, as newly minted second lieutenants and ensigns down to, to National Guard hubs. So like in New York City to help lead National Guard efforts, because it, it's it, we're to a point now. I don't want to I don't want to I don't want to, you know, provide conjecture that, you know, posse comitatus is going to be suspended and the military is going to be fulfilling, you know, law enforcement uh missions. But you know what? It's not something out of the complete realm of possibility that that could happen, that the military could be used to enforce curfews, to enforce quarantines and self-quarantines. That's something that if this thing gets more out of hand, it gets worse. That's something, brother, I think we could see. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be really interesting next two weeks. I think these these two weeks are really going to tell what uh, position we're going in. I agree. Yeah. So, yep. And at this point, you know, we got to do what we got to do. And, uh, and New York needs to lead the way. And, you know, as, as critical as uh, many of us have been of our governor, and uh, I've never been a big fan, I got to say, yep. uh, he's he's doing a respectable job. He's definitely keeping people informed. And uh, I've been impressed. Um, I, I'm not asking you to comment on that because I know your news and you, you probably don't want to do no, that. I, my, uh, my own conjecture here is, is that I, I don't like the guy, but I think he's doing a great job. I, I, I cannot disagree with you. And, and full disclosure, um, his brother, Chris, Chris Cuomo, is somebody that I've worked with quite a bit at, uh, at CNN over the last four years. Yeah. And Chris just came out with the announcement that he, he has contracted the, the COVID-19 coronavirus. And so he's self-quarantined his basement out home. But I agree with you in regards to the governor. I think in this instance, the governor has stepped up to the plate and has done a, a, a beyond admirable job. And, you know, leaders, as we know in the law enforcement realm, Leaders have to be the calm and the chaos. When everything else is going to, you know what, yeah. they got to be the one to say, "Hey, I'm going to give it to you straight. Here's the bad news. Here's the good news. This is what I. This is what fact is. You know, this is what we have from our medical professionals or from our law enforcement professionals, and this is what my speculation is. What I think, what my opinion is, and what we need to do. And I think he's done, to your point, an outstanding job of that. Yeah, and you know, it's just one step at a time. One step at a time, trying to keep ourselves. Yep. you know, educated and informed. And, and again, you know, that's one of the reasons why I'm, I'm trying to do more content with, with uh, the podcast show and just getting these segments out and just getting a, a pulse on what's, what's going on out there. Um, all right, man. So I'm going to wind down here with you, Jim. I really, really appreciate you coming on. I know you're, you're a super busy guy. And uh, I, I just know because we postponed uh, about three or four times <laughs> even this morning to get this thing recorded. Yep. So I, I know you're, uh, you're busy. So I, um, I appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. Well, well, I appreciate you having me on and, uh, and, and, and I, and I appreciate the opportunity to talk to your, to your listeners because I know it's an informed group and uh, I know you provide a great service for them. So keep doing what you're doing too, Matt. It is, uh, 
it's it's no small thing and it's appreciated. Yeah, and and folks, please make sure you subscribe to the podcast show because you, you will get notifications as these extra episodes come out, you know, at least one to two a week uh, in addition to the regular Monday show just to get the word out there. So, all right, Jim, I'll let you get back to, uh, to doing your stuff. So thank you so much. Thanks to everybody for tuning in and uh, we'll catch you guys real soon. Have a good day. Thanks for joining us for this quick hit segment. Thanks to James for making himself available to our industry. This was a very special segment and we're glad you tuned in. Now make sure you visit the NCISS and NALI websites for legislative updates about the Family First Act. There's some great info out there. Check the show notes for the application link for the $10,000 emergency grant, and please stay safe out there. And we'll see you next time on PI Perspectives.